Yes, like Frozen is like psychoeducation, like for children, which just, yeah, amazing. But also adults too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> psychoeducation for everyone. For everyone. <laughs> Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fornasia. If you love our podcast and want to give us some support, make sure you're following Psychocinematic Podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. And check out our website, psychocinematicpodcast.com. For access to special bonus content, episodes, early access, stickers, and contribute to our regular fundraisers, join our Patreon. Starting from $3.50 a month, you can be the coolest psychocinematic listener there is. Please note that this episode contains discussions of suicide and self-harm. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available on 131114 or the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467. But feel free to skip this one if you prefer. I'd like to start today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I'm on today, which is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to uh, elders past, present and future and acknowledge that I'm currently um, sitting on stolen Aboriginal land. I also just want to start today by acknowledging that I'm releasing this episode the day after Ida Hobbit, which is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. This is an international day that aims to raise awareness of LGBTQIA plus rights, raise awareness of rights violations and promote a more inclusive, accepting and loving society. We at Psychocinematic believe wholeheartedly in trans rights, queer rights and rights for all minorities and marginalized communities and are fiercely passionate about improving the lives of LGBTQIA+, particularly youth, across the world. All patrons subscriber fees for the month of May will be going to minus 18 in honour of Ida Hobbit and we will continue to push for social causes that improve the lives of everyone around us. With that in mind, I'd like to deeply thank our patrons at the moment and shout them out. Nathan Phillips, Elise McGlashan, Matthew Little, Carrie Ann Ware, Marguerite Donaldson, Carly O'Sullivan, Shannon Threlfall clark Amber Whitehouse and someone called Isotransactions. We really appreciate you. Uh, and I'd like to introduce to the podcast uh, Laura Petanuzzo. Is that right? Petanuzzo, yep, that's right. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today, Laura. And what land are you on today? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people, um, and I'd just like to affirm um, that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty has never been signed. I guess um, as a non-Indigenous people, it is super important um, for us to just, yeah, acknowledge that we are on stolen land and to kind of display our allyship, not just with our words, but also with our actions. Hugely true. Thank you very much for that. So I'd just like to introduce Laura. So Laura is a writer and disability advocate living, as she just said, in Warringeri country. Her work has been published in places including the Mascara Literary Review, the ABC and the SBS. Uh, and she's also a member of the Victorian Disability Advisory Council. Welcome and thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Laura. Thank you so much. Um, I'm very excited. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share about, I guess, what led you to 
coming onto the podcast and why you thought you might be a good fit to talk. Absolutely. So um, I guess I just love the idea of this podcast in the sense that, um, you know, um, representation of mental health and disability is something, one of the things about which I'm most passionate. When I heard about the podcast and started listening, I was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Like it ticks all my boxes. And I, th- I guess because a lot of my work and advocacy is around, you know, mental health or psychosocial disability and, you know, writing about representation and, you know, disabled people not being seen in, you know, either the media or in leadership positions or just in life and how that that idea of not being seen then kind of snowballs into, you know, all different kinds of ableist attitudes that we experience. That just kind of led me to go, hang on, I have I have thoughts. I have lots of thoughts, lots of thoughts and lots of feelings. Um, and so I guess for me, a bit of a spoiler, like which you would know from the episode title, but um, we're going to be talking about Frozen. And that has been my favourite Disney film since I first saw it because of its uh, depiction of, of mental illness. And so I guess it was just a really nice alignment of, things about which I'm passionate. Yeah, I'm so glad that you reached out because, um, yes, your work is just perfect uh, and your the things that you're passionate about are very much the things I'm passionate about too. We are doing Frozen today and I'm really, really excited that you chose this one because I've been wanting to do it for a while and I did make a little TikTok about its representation maybe like a year ago um, but I was like I'm gonna do a full episode at some point so thank you so much for picking Frozen. Um, what was it about Frozen that you were so drawn to it? Yeah so I think for me it was a couple of things um, so I wanted to see the movie before I really knew what it was about purely because I'm a really big fan of Demi Lovato um, oh, and so yeah. they uh, they sing the Let It Go like the radio version um, and so I listened to that song as soon as it came out and I was like oh my god like I really relate to these lyrics like wow um amazing and so I was like okay I really want to see the film and I I remember when I saw it I was in America with a friend it was like 2013 end of the year um and I'd been experiencing a fair bit of like anxiety and depression at the time and I was struggling to articulate that to the friend that I was with and then I remember just sitting in that theater and just crying because I was like oh my god like what else is going through that's what I'm going through. Um, and so when we left the movie theatre, I said to my friend, I, I feel like Elsa at the moment. Like that's what's going on for me. Um, and that kind of helped her understand where I was at. Um, and I guess, yeah, that from then on, it's just kind of become my comfort film because it's been somewhere that I can go that I know that I can feel seen. But not only do I feel seen in terms of Elsa's experience of mental health challenges it's also a comforting reminder or reassurance or I guess hope that much as like Anna sees Elsa in all her complexity and loves her just as much um that people can see me in all my complexity in all my mental illness and love me too that's beautiful that's also what I really love about this film as well I didn't actually watch it until a little while like many years after it came out and I was in private practice working with kids and a few kids Mm -hmm. brought up that for dealing with anxiety and depression one of their mantras was let it go the song and and so I was like that's great use that that's amazing so I was like I've got to watch this movie (laughs) (laughs) 
been really helpful for some of the kids that I work with. And then, yeah, mm-hmm. once I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I can see why this is so beloved. And I'm just so happy because, like, I think Inside Out came around the same time, which I'm going to have to cover at some point. Yes, definitely. I'm very excited for that too. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few people who really want to do it with me, so I've just like got to pick. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, just I love that Disney's starting to bring out, or has been doing it for a while at least, mm-hmm. a lot more films that aren't about like the fairy tale ending and the romance. Mm-hmm. It's more about actual useful messages, particularly for kids that, are going through tough times mm-hmm. that can actually be used really effectively for teaching kids not just like morals but also just mm-hmm. how to deal with this very strange world that you're in and this very flawed brain that we all have. And they're also often very female-led, which I love as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it's been such a long time coming. Um, and I think, yeah, like there are so many things that I do love about Frozen and I know we'll get to this later, but, you know, the fact that it isn't romantic love that saves Elsa um, too is, again, just kind of subverting that idea and, and means that it was for its time um, quite a, um, a groundbreaking feels dramatic and maybe too much but I'm gonna say it um because for me as I watched it it felt groundbreaking yeah I think that's a good uh, word to use because it was so popular too yes even though um people are probably sick of the songs by now they have not stopped being popular like they're mm-hmm. I think they're timeless and it just it's just yeah, Disney songs are often very well written, but it's a really good signal for how groundbreaking something is when it's still so, so popular. Well, should I just briefly attempt to go through the plot? So anyone who hasn't watched Frozen, although hopefully you have by now, know what we're talking <laughs> about. So Anna and Elsa are princesses of Arendelle. Elsa has magic powers to make things freeze and create snow and ice. She accidentally strikes Anna while playing when they're little and their parents go to the trolls to save Anna, who remove all memories of the magic but leaves the fun. As a result, Elsa shuts herself away at at the suggestion of her parents and barely sees her sister as she grows up also shutting the gates to the kingdom. The parents go away on a trip and are shipwrecked and sadly have died at sea. As they become of age, Elsa is coronated. They open the gates and have the ceremony and Anna is so excited to have people in the kingdom dreaming of finding her true love. It also leaves other kingdoms keen to take advantage, such as Weaseltown. (laughs) Anna meets Hans and immediately hits it off and her and Elsa start to connect for the first time. However, when Hans proposes to Anna and she says yes, it causes an argument between the sisters and Elsa's powers are released in front of all. Elsa escapes the castle, then turns everything to winter. She's alone with her powers and creates a new ice castle. Singing the iconic Let It Go, where she releases all of her feelings and hence her powers. Anna lets Hans be in charge of Arendelle and sets off to find Elsa, running into Kristoff and his reindeer Sven who she bribes to help her get to the North Mountain, which Elsa has turned into her home. I think I have missed here that Arendelle has frozen over as she's escaped it. As they get closer, they meet Olaf, which has been created by Elsa, a playmate she created when they were little, whom Anna remembers. They finally get there and Anna tries to convince her to come back, of which Elsa just tells her to go home. And Anna tells her what's happened there. 
Elsa gets emotional and her powers strike Anna's heart. An ice monster chases them away and Anna's hair starts to turn whiter. She's starting to freeze. Kristoff and Anna start to bond and he introduces them to his troll family, who check out Anna's frozen heart and says that an act of true love is the only thing that will save her. Hans goes to get Elsa and his men capture her. Kristoff attempts to take Anna back to Arendelle, hoping that the kiss from her fiancé, Hans, will save her. But just as Hans is about to kiss her, he reveals that he was just wanting to marry into a throne and took advantage of Anna's desperation. His plan is to let Anna die and kill Elsa. But Elsa escapes and creates more and more of a snowstorm. Sven convinces Kristoff to go back. Olaf rescues Anna and tries to take her to Kristoff. Hans catches up with Elsa and tells her her sister has died because of her. This stops the snowstorm. Anna sees Hans about to kill Elsa and then runs in the middle and freezes, preventing Elsa's death. She then unfreezes. The act of true love was that between two sisters. Elsa then feels all that love and unthaws everything, bringing back the summer. Anna then, very satisfactorily, uh, punches Hans off the edge. Olaf gets his own personal flurry so he can exist in the summer. And Elsa is able to control her powers and creates a giant ice skating rink. I've just summarised Frozen 1, which I assume we'll just be talking mostly about today. I haven't actually seen Frozen 2. I, t- I was trying to, but I never got around to it. <laughs> oh, you must. Okay, yes. Um, yes, whole other discussion. Although they do kind of go into like the mental health elements in there a little bit. Um, and there is one of the songs where Kristen Bell actually did an interview where she talked about how that song was actually drawn from her experiences of depression. But anyway, sorry, I'm going on a tangent. No, that, that's really important. And feel free to discuss Frozen 2 as it comes up as well, because it's mm-hmm. hard to not talk about one without the other. So I did a little bit of research into the lived experience of the people creating the film. But before I go into mm-hmm. what I discovered, is there anything that you've come across or that you wanted to talk about in terms of the creation of Frozen? I did a bit of like looking into it when I first watched it um, and also, you know, in preparation for this. And I think, you know, we would have come across some of like similar things. But, you know, like I mentioned, I appreciated the fact that the filmmakers like deliberately approached Demi Lovato to sing the radio version because they're well known as like a mental health advocate mm. um and so like i guess that um you know active platforming of lived experience is something that in general i think you know the whole world can and should learn from because you know the voices of people with lived experience remain marginalized and sidelined but on that note you know like uh, Kristen Bell has obviously spoken out about her own experiences with mental health issues yeah she's been very vocal yes yeah like I am like quite disappointed with and I don't mean to mispronounce um Idina Menzel's name but like really disappointed with um like she made a couple of jokes in 2017 and a few years ago about like suicide and just kind of being very flippant about that yeah Um, and it was just kind of like Elsa don't do that like (laughs) what are you doing Elsa I know you know what you represent to everyone exactly yeah (laughs) yeah I didn't realize that until um you had mentioned it and um yeah, just like I won't repeat what she said because it's really quite um, yeah. upsetting. And given what 
yeah, what she's come through in the show. But also, like, I read that her one of her parents was a therapist and her husband's a mental health worker. So wow, should she not have known better than to make some mm-hmm. of that kind of offhand comment, um, which really trivialises the nature of mental illness? She mm-hmm. did apologise, though, I yes. guess. Do you think her po- apology was enough or should she do more? Personally, I think she should definitely do more. Um, but, I mean, I'm slightly, you know, I, I have, like, I'm very invested in this issue. Um, but I think it's particularly the fact that it's a recurring thing. Like, I read several interviews with her from, like, different time points where she made, like, the same or similar flippant comments um, about mental health and suicide. And I just kind of went, did you not learn? You know, a bunch of her fans, like, you know, gave, there was like a bunch of backlash from them, but it's kind of like, why do you need like a a huge like public outcry for you to recognize the like implications and problematic nature of your own behavior? Like, can we not like reflect on our words and behavior as people and then own up to our mistakes? I don't know. Yeah, Um, that's the disappointing thing. Like it took a group of people, the National Alliance on Mental Illness who called her mm -hmm. out to actually go, oh, yeah, that was wrong. Like, yes. it, there was plenty of time to reflect and go, oh, I can see why that yeah. would, wouldn't have been the right thing to say. So, yeah, I don't know. I just have a lot of feelings about that. Yeah, I think, you know, nobody's perfect. We're all human. And perhaps it can be, you know, viewed as an opportunity for grace um, and as hmm. an opportunity to do that introspective work um, and do better in, in future. Yeah, anything else that you came across or that you want to talk about? That is everything off the top of my head, aside from the fact that I do remember seeing on Google that good old Google, Josh Gad, um, ironically has like generalized anxiety disorder or Gad, um, just like me. Yes, um, me so, too. <laughs> oh my God, Gad twinsies. Yay! Gad twins. <laughs> <laughs> we need a secret handshake. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> we'll have to wash our hands afterwards. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and just, yeah, like um, lots of reassurance. Like, you know, um, I did the handshake. That means that I like you. It's okay. We can all be reassured. <laughs> Deep breaths. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> that can be an element of the handshake. Mindful breathing. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I came across that as well in like such a coincidence with his name, um, but also- yes. He's been very vocal about it and campaigned for mental health awareness in a few forms um, over the years. So that's really that's really awesome that he. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there's been a, a few people with lived experience in this film who were perfect for the roles and you know have mm-hmm. the amazing voices for it, but also really I think probably really brought the character to life through their lived experience as well. I think he can kind of tell. And particularly when they talk about how passionate they are about it, like you mentioned with Kristen Bell um, talking about the song. So the one in Frozen 2 is um, The Next Right Thing. Mm, Yeah. 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 I love that song. Um, I need to listen to it. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's like one of the most played on my Spotify, like, um, play. Yeah. So, yeah, using her own experiences to to influence the film as well, which is really awesome. Mm-hmm. I also had a little research into some of the other actors. So Santino Fontana, who I just love because he's in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't read much about his own life, ex- like personal experience with mental illness per se, but he did have 
quite a significant on-stage concussion um, in his early um, Broadway career, which set him back a whole year professionally. So oh. he experienced a lot of um, distress and stress and um, I assume it sounds like it was quite an anxiety-provoking moment, like knowing if mm-hmm. he was going to um, recover, like he couldn't perform for some time. So that was just interesting and he had to really look after himself and I guess, provide accommodations for him when he was going back to work. So Mm. that's important to be aware of. And then Jonathan Groff, who plays the, I always forget, Christoph. Oh, yeah. He has discussed um, publicly about his life being in the closet and coming out sort of later in life um, as Mm. gay, um, particularly being very passionate about Broadway and then once coming out really changing his life so I think he probably relates to that sort of masking side of things of Mm. looking like you've got it all together and there's nothing different about you but but secretly you you're not being your true self so yeah Mm -hmm. just thought that was interesting Yes, I think so too, particularly given like when I was um, like first Googling Frozen and like different interpretations of Let It Go, there were quite a few arguments or like um, people contending that um, it could also be like an analogy for queerness. Yeah. Um, And like obviously they didn't kind of go in that direction in either the first or the second film, but I could really see, um, you know, that, like that that parallel really does make sense hugely yeah if you know people um having that interpretation if that's going to help if that's going to um you know support people to find that sense of self-acceptance then that's brilliant um and it's just you know another way that the film and the lyrics and you know all of that lived experience that's gone into it can and will continue to I guess, improve the lives of people who watch it. Um, And maybe that is a long bow, um, but this film has improved my life. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's a long bow at all. And I feel like that's the best thing about cinema, particularly I always like when films do are explicit about what mental illness, disability, whatever it Mm -hmm. might be that they're um, talking about. But when it is kind of more coded, it means that you can, and even when it's not, you can take with it what works for you and what helps you and apply it to Mm -hmm. your life in so many different ways. And I think particularly with Elsa not having a romantic plot in the first one, haven't seen the second one, then it's very easy to connect it with having a queer um, narrative as well, Mm -hmm. which if people have taken that on board, that's, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I had a little research into the creator Jennifer Lee, who Mm -hmm. um, is now the chief creative creative officer I I wrote CEO there and now I don't remember what it stands for Um, (laughs) she's the chief of something (laughs) she's the chief (laughs) of of Disney Um, so she took over from John Lasseter when there were those allegations of assault um, and he was let go um, which I think is a great move because like Mm -hmm. this she did such an amazing job with this film and it's good to have a female in that role absolutely yeah and she I just read a few articles saying that she um she really struggled with self-doubt when she was growing up she's Mm -hmm. also experienced quite significant grief um as her boyfriend was killed in a boating accident when she was in junior year of college Mm -hmm. and she's sort of used those experiences of grief but also that self-doubt and and then thinking I can't doubt anymore because life is short 
yeah. to creating this kind of this kind of film. And she also said that she was raised by a single mum, a nurse who worked three jobs, and she was bullied and took a lot of comfort in stories, um, which helped her sort of develop some mental toughness as well. And her favourite story was Cinderella. <laughs> she thought the biggest thing was that, that she was so mistreated, but she was able to say, it's not you, it's not me, it's you, and uh, yeah. hold on to her strength. Um which, which is great because when I think of Cinderella, I think of being rescued by a prince. Um, <laughs> so it's another example of people taking um, messages from films that are really helpful even if others might not see that. Yeah, yeah, that and I guess that, that a reframe is always possible. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that it ultimately, yeah, perspective is everything, um, cliche as it might seem. Yeah, for sure. I also had a little look into like um, the inspiration for, well, some of the inspiration for Frozen, which is yep. the story The Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen. Mm-hmm. Have you read it or seen anything? I have not. Um, I remember reading that like in the initial like uh, planning of Frozen that Elsa was going to be the villain um, mm. and that they really kind of went um, another way. And I'm really, really glad that they did because it yeah. kind of, there isn't necessarily like, um, I mean, if we had to pick a villain, it would be Hans. But the fact that there isn't like a an easily pinpointable villain in this film, uh, I guess, is a testament to the complexity of life. Like sometimes it's not like a, it's not a clear cut black and white, you know, you're good, you're evil. It's, mm. you know. In this case, you know, Elsa is not the villain. She's just experiencing something really intense um, and hasn't been given the support um, that she needs to to kind of deal with that or manage that or to use the, you know, the um, clinical term, so to speak, to regulate. Yes. Um, and so I think in terms of the Snow Queen and how, um, how the film ultimately deviated. Like I'm really mm. pleased um, that it did. But, yeah, I'm keen to hear more about your thoughts on, like, you know, the origin with the Snow Queen and stuff. Too. Yeah, that's a really good point because I think um, with a lot of more recent Disney films too that there isn't good and bad. There's no mm-hmm. evil and um, perf- perfection. It's all very nuanced and there are flaws in everyone. Like mm-hmm. there are flaws in Anna because she yeah. um, is very, uh, she's not, she's too trusting, I guess, mm-hmm. of Hans. Yeah. But then, she, you know, she ultimately saves the day, but it's more of a group effort as well. And mm-hmm. I just love that it's more true to life, like you say, because, you know, even the power isn't um, the villain as well because it's mm. good. It creates great things as well as um, yes. harmful things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know, what the the film shows is not only like Elsa's lived experience as someone with the mental illness or psychosocial disability, it also demonstrates the impact that that psychosocial um, disability or mental illness can have on the loved ones of someone who has that mental illness. Um, And, you know, you kind of see um, Anna falling into that kind of caring role um, Mm. in the sense that, you know, she's she's reaching out um, and she's being rebuffed um and Mm. I think you know there are a lot of people who you know might not necessarily identify as carers because that can be quite a loaded term Mm. um but could identify with that act of trying to provide emotional support for someone who is dealing with their own mental ill health 
And Definitely. yeah, so I guess I really appreciated that there was that representation there. As yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah, there's so much. It just really nails it. Yeah. Um, going back to the Snow Queen. So it's mm-hmm. a really long story, um, mm-hmm. and I've I haven't read it or watched any depictions of it on mm-hmm. screen. Uh, I think like I. Re- I recall the Snow Queen is one of the, like, the, uh, what, I think it's the White Queen in the Chronicles of Narnia, which I've only seen in Yes, the that's what pops into my head too. Mm. Yeah, which they also, um, it, it was inspired by this tale. But yeah. essentially, like, there's, there's, like, five different stories within it and lots mm-hmm. of things happen and it's really, uh, the Snow Queen doesn't, she, she doesn't actually pop up all the way through so it, mm-hmm. I won't go into it but one thing that I thought was really important is the beginning of the tale um mm-hmm. is the whole creation of the story is that apparent this is a quote from the from the story that yeah or maybe it's from wikipedia anyway um <laughs> the devil in the form of an evil troll has made a magic mirror that distorts the appearance of everything that it reflects the magic mirror fails to reflect the good and beautiful aspects of people and things and magnifies their bad and ugly aspects the devil who's a headmaster at a troll school takes the mirror and his pupils throughout the world delighting in using it to distort everyone and everything they attempt to carry the mirror into heaven in order to make fools of the angels and god but the higher they lift it, the more the mirror shakes as they laughed and it slips from their grasp and falls back to earth, shattering into billions of pieces, some no larger than a grain of sand. The splinters are blown by the wind all over the earth and get into people's hearts and eyes, freezing their hearts like blocks of ice and making their eyes like the troll mirror itself, seeing only the bad and ugly in people and things. And to me, that there is just depression and anxiety encapsulated. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at least one aspect of it, anyway. In that, yes, mm-hmm. some of those um, unhelpful thought patterns, those cognitive biases that you experience, which yes. is you know magnifying the bad and ignoring the good, or seeing only threat when there is no threat there, and things like that. Absolutely. Um, And I think also um, in some ways that sense of like having kind of like mirrors or like a um, like a shutter, I guess, over that distorts the way we see the world could also lead into like the um, like the um, apathy that Elsa feels, um, you know, and, you know, which we know is also a key or can be a key part of depression. Um, and then it might also lead to, say, for instance, um, the way that we interpret our surroundings. So we, we see that, like, you know, Elsa feels a lot of guilt and shame. Um, and so, you know, for the characters in, like, the Snow Queen stories who, um, you know, have those bits of glass or those, I guess, um, lenses through which they see the world, um, those feelings of guilt and shame um, would also be amplified. So, yeah, there really are... I guess uh, like crumbs or like grains of uh, grains of that story um, scattered throughout or embedded within, um, to use the more appropriate term, uh, embedded within Frozen. Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting and amazing that that concept has really, you know, this was I think the eighteen hundreds, late eighteen mm. hundreds, has really come to lie hundreds of years later. It's just mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Yes, stories are. Yes, brilliant. and I've always liked Hans Christian Andersen's um, tales, like 
they were always a little bit dark. Like the Little Mermaid, the original story is is as much darker than the Disney film. Oh, I haven't actually read um, any of the original Hans Christian Andersons. I think I need to. I, yeah, I won't spoil them for you, but um, <laughs> yeah, some of his stories are a little bit uh, not. Yeah, they've they've made them a little bit more palatable for. Yeah, this century. So <laughs> um, go back and read. Very interesting. But on that note, um, Hans Christian Andersen, the mm-hmm. um, author of mm-hmm. the original Snow Queen, um, has been widely speculated as queer, mm-hmm. um, yeah. possibly gay, but he might have been bi. We mm-hmm. don't know. Um, there's written evidence of him having relationships and being in, lo- in love with men. But it depends on the researcher as to whether they will admit that or not, um, that he was actually queer. So it's very interesting. I'd like to do more research on that. But he was described as experiencing depression, particularly as he was abused in boarding school. I'm absolutely certain his experiences would be coming through in his stories in lots of ways. I think um, some people have compared The Little Mermaid to particularly like – the latest kind of iteration of a Mer story, Luca, if you've seen mm-hmm. that one. Of, no, I haven't. It's a great film. The sort of concept of wanting to be part of another person's world and having to hide who you are, which would be very much an analogy of being queer as well, yeah. particularly of the time that Hans um, was around in. So, yeah. Okay, now I really want to watch Luca and I want to go back and rewatch The Little Mermaid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> More Disney films. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, that's. All the lived experience I I came across, was there anything else that anyone involved that I've missed or? Um, I don't think so. Um, not from, like, not from my knowledge anyway. Um, but I think we can safely say um, that, you know, like several significant, um, you know, players or um, people who were involved in the film um, in various ways brought their lived experience and, at least Definitely. for me, like when I watched it, that really shone through, like particularly in like the lyrics of like, say, let it go, or even um, for the first time in forever, particularly the reprise, like when um, like Anna sings it to Elsa, or I suppose they sing it to each other um, in the ice castle. That one also really struck a chord with me in terms mm. of, yeah, its representation. So are you happy for us to move on to accuracy? Yeah, no worries. Because, I, you know, sometimes we kind of go through, like, is this an accurate representation according to mm-hmm. what we see clinically? But I just thought we'd probably talk about the themes in it and how much they relate yep. to what we've experienced or what we think they're trying to say. Yeah. So I guess, you know, a big part of the themes is dealing with emotions, but particularly very strong emotions um, mm-hmm. such as depression and anxiety having any kind of mental illness experience would probably fit within this um, film. But it could also be seen, like we were saying, as as a LGBTQIA plus storyline, so you know, hiding mm-hmm. who you are as a person in terms of sexuality or gender. Is there any other themes that you would particularly like to talk about or um, within that? Maybe like a grace and, and redemption and that idea of like like love and and the fact that it can be like unconditional um, mm. in the sense that, you know, like Anna continued to like fight for Elsa, even when Elsa ran away, even when Elsa 
like pushed her away. Like Anna didn't give up. And I think Mm. that the strength of that familial bond um, and the notion that family, whether it's by birth or by choice, um, because obviously for Elsa and Anna, it was by birth, but um, thinking of like, you know, uh, Christoph and Sven, um, you know, uh, family by choice, um, those bonds are the things that, that can save us and help us and and ultimately are what get us through yeah um and so I think I also really appreciated that reinforcement of the fact that we don't exist in isolation um Mm. we all exist as part of constellations um even if as in Elsa's case our mental illnesses might it might be so much easier to believe otherwise you know that that that's a lie um and and this film demonstrated that through Elsa's story which I really really appreciate yeah definitely I I think that is a really important point to that unconditional love and support regardless of how that person might have inadvertently hurt you or um Mm -hmm. it might not be the the outcome of that support might not be what you want like for example Christoph knowing that um Anna needed her true love's kiss to save her wasn't Mm -hmm. even though he was definitely like Hans is you know like Marion Hans is a bad idea and also I, mm-hmm. he obviously has a crush on her. Um, <laughs> that it all goes out the window because it's all about saving her and regardless yes. of who ends up kissing her, he just wants her to to, to live. So mm-hmm. that I think just that, even though it's a very brief part of the film, is like such an important thing of yes. what true love and support is. Yes, um, and I think it also, that that notion that sometimes it can be sacrificial um, also harkens back to that idea of Olaf saying, you know, some people are worth melting for. Yeah, In yeah. much the same way that um, so in order to save her. I know. Um, <laughs> so, like, in much the same way that, yeah, Kristoff, in order to save Anna, had to let her go, Olaf was aware that by letting Anna, you know, when she was, when uh, Hans had trapped her um, in the room um in order to get her out like it would involve potentially sacrificing himself Olaf was willing to do that um yeah yeah so I think that was also um really quite powerful I think it speaks to me as being a parent as well because we Mm -hmm. often a lot of us have experiences of not unconditional love with parenting or having um there's a lot of stuff I often end up reading up on about like narcissistic parenting or Um, You know, I'm working in a space where there's a lot of kids who have been abused by their parents now in my career. So seeing what that actual unconditional love looks like is really important in that you would just do everything for that person, Mm -hmm. even if it it causes some some damage to yourself. Having said that, of course, you should look after yourself as well. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Yeah, I guess there is that, that kind of balance. And, but yeah, you know, like it is a film, um, it is a film for children. Um, and you know, that, that nuance of like balancing, um, self-care and love for other people would be tricky. I think for any film to capture, um, let alone one, uh, with such a young target audience. But yes, I guess that, um, that, that notion of love, um, is, just kind of I think one of the reasons why perhaps the film is so beloved Mm. um because it is such a universal yearning that we all have um Mm. and you know something that you know as humans you know we not deserve not just deserve to be loved you know we are loved 
as we are. Like it, it's not, there's not like criteria or conditions that we need to meet. It's just kind of as Anna's, uh, I guess, behavior or sacrifices for Elsa demonstrate that that love is is a gift um, that we can choose to accept or not. Mm. Um, and the, I guess, the flow-on effects of accepting that love are beneficial and enormous, not just for ourselves, but for those who love us um, and those that we love. Definitely. I'm going to talk about this now because it's perfect segue, but the, mm-hmm. I guess the juxtaposition of that with Hans and mm. he like it's such a perfect metaphor for the person you meet who thinks they're promising you the world and then mm-hmm. uh which I'm sure we've all come across if we've been in the dating pool um and they just seem too good to be true and they you finish each other's sem- sentences and <laughs> they tell you that they love you very quickly but mm-hmm. then it's not the way it's panned out and often people can think that that sort of initial rush and like everything uh happens really really quickly is love mm-hmm. but in the case of Hans and Anna it, it was was fake on his um part but yeah. also because she's uh, you know her experience of romantic love is so um like pretty much non-existent because she's been sort of shut up in Arendelle for mm-hmm. so long and she's she's at that age where she's yearning to meet someone she doesn't she probably interprets that as that's love yeah but then you know the actual reality of that is no like he's been taking advantage of her desire mm-hmm. to connect which often can happen to people who are very vulnerable to that mm-hmm. it, it, I guess it's a good teaching moment to you know to have boundaries as well and get to know yes. someone carefully and not always trust people immediately and Mm -hmm. to show like what true love really is is not necessarily that initial spark but also but really that like we've just been talking about that sort of unconditional love and support of that person for who they are not just what they can give you I guess yes Mm -hmm. and I think um something else that distinguishes I guess like the Hans dynamic from those other more healthy depictions um is the ease of it so Mm. like for for Anna perhaps she kind of thought oh my god like it's all falling into place like you know this is the person like it's it's all just it's easy um Mm. but it wasn't necessarily easy um you know with with Christoph and Sven it's not easy with Elsa but Mm. it doesn't have to be easy to be worth it it's almost you know the ruptures in their relationships mean that the repairs afterwards make them that much stronger yeah Um, 100 percent. yeah that and that's the reality it's not all just Mm -hmm. ease and and having fun sunshine and rainbows exactly it's also Mm -hmm. lots of hard work and um managing through the tough times not just the the easy times yes I really love that storyline and particularly how Kristoff is like you just got engaged to someone you just met which was like yeah. the opposite <laughs> of Disney law for such a long time yes <laughs> so I guess I, I was kind of interested in the way there's like parallels to how people might attempt to manage mental illness um mm-hmm. f- particularly for Elsa in the beginning and yes. I really the way that it sort of pans out with in the beginning when the trolls are telling her mm. parents like she has to learn to control it and fear will be her enemy they yes. sort of interpret that to me you, you just have to stop using it just try to not 
focus conceal on conceal it basically conceal yeah. don't mm-hmm. feel and they mm-hmm. kind of interpret it to me like those words could have been interpreted as manage it like and also don't be yeah. afraid of it because mm-hmm. the more you're afraid of it then the harder it will be to manage it yes um, mm-hmm. which is just like with anxiety um <laughs> yes yeah exactly mm-hmm. um yes that idea of fear being your enemy is almost saying like but acceptance will be your your savior um mm. and ultimately that's what it is but um I think what happens then is that like, you know, Elsa and Anna's parents are so well-intentioned and they obviously love their daughters so much. Mm. Um, and the, like, that love then leads them to, I guess, constantly kind of repress Elsa's emotions. They mm. view, like, the expression of those emotions as something bad, as something to be avoided at all costs. And so then, I guess, therefore, neither of them learn how to regulate their emotions or learn that having emotions is okay. Yeah, exactly. They're completely well-meaning and they just don't want anything more bad to happen. Mm-hmm. Inadvertently end up making her powers more strong and yeah. not giving her any skills to manage it. And, yeah, like you say, I think it's just a perfect metaphor for parents with kids with mental illness who they themselves don't know how to manage you know, mm-hmm. they might have their own mental illness um, that they haven't learnt ways to manage, which is all can be very intergenerational as well and not knowing what to do. And that's a very common experience. And it also shows it doesn't mean they didn't care or love or, mm-hmm. you know, would do anything for their kids. They just didn't have the skills. Um, yeah. And then when they die because of the shipwreck, um, all of Elsa's supports are gone. And yes. she just has nothing to, to help support her powers. But then mm-hmm. yet she still now has the responsibility of being queen. So, yes, yeah, mm-hmm. which can happen. Like um, as your kids grow up and they sort of learn ways to cope that aren't necessarily managing their symptoms but maybe masking symptoms or whatever mm-hmm. unless they sort of realise um, what's going on and how they, they actually need those strategies it can get worse I guess true can I throw a question in here if that's okay Um, please do I love questions (laughs) and feel free to talk about anything in this context but in terms of your experience with generalized anxiety disorder Mm -hmm. how did you learn ways to manage it like what was your journey like with with that acceptance yeah, sure. So um, that journey for me is still very much ongoing. Um, it never it's, ends. It's, <laughs> no, no, it really doesn't. For me, some things that really helped were just kind of um, like, like I started keeping a thought diary when I was like in my later years of high school because I realized like it was like at the end of year 11 and the start of year 12 that I was kind of like, if I just keep believing all of these anxious thoughts, like all of these self-loathing, self-defeating thoughts, content warning but like I, I will end up like you know the the only like inevitable I guess solution feels like taking my own life and I don't want to do that um so I have to I have to put a stop to this now um and so I have to kind of like take a really hard look at at my thoughts um and and what they're doing to me um and so it was very much like I started talking to myself as though I was a really young child like I have I had these um really like they're they're not young anymore but like my cousins um who were quite young at the time and I was like Laura would you talk um to them the way you talk to yourself um and like I would never do that 
Um, and I wouldn't want them to talk to themselves the way that I was talking to myself. So for me, it was just very much like a moment to moment. Oh, okay. Now I'm having this feeling. Um, like it's okay that I'm having this feeling. Maybe I'm having this feeling for this reason. Maybe I don't know why I'm having the feeling, but even so that's okay too. And just kind of acknowledging for the first time that my emotions, whatever they were, were valid. And I think that they didn't have to be contingent on anybody else's emotions. Like it didn't matter whether um, someone else's feelings like might have seemed bigger than mine it didn't matter like I didn't need to like I guess compare myself or think oh no like that other person's got it worse like we like we don't experience the world through a barometer of what everyone else is feeling we experience Mm. it um you know through our own interpretations and experiences um which is a very long-winded way of saying um that I guess For me, starting dialectical behavior therapy um, was really, really helpful. And Mm -hmm. I was and am very lucky um, that my parents um, supported me to do that when I was a teenager. That's Um, fantastic. Yes. um, DBT is something that I would recommend to lots of people just because it um, does equip you with so many skills um, Mm -hmm. in identifying your emotions, in in regulating them and, and tolerating distress. Um, and in interacting more effectively with other people. So, yeah, for me, DBT has definitely been life-changing um, mm. and, and the skills that I was able to gain through that are skills that I continue to use um, when I do notice, um, you know, my anxiety um, spiking or like my thoughts starting to become quite self-defeating. I think that's going to be really helpful for anyone who's experiencing you know, some of the things that they relate to from this movie because I haven't myself gone through dialectical behaviour therapy but definitely aspects like the acceptance side, um, yeah. the mindfulness aspect of it um, mm-hmm. because, yeah, that's quite a, quite a, a suite of um, strategies that you learn and it's really, really um, beneficial for lots of people. I've heard really, really good things about it. There's really good research about it. But, yeah, the way you're describing, I'm, ha- I'm noticing that I'm having the feeling and what would you say to yourself if if you were your cousin is uh, mm-hmm. some really good um, sort of, I guess, defusing strategies of acknowledging that this is a feeling, this is a thought. It's not good or bad. It's just there. And yeah. it's not mm-hmm. you. Your brain does this, but it doesn't yeah. have to become yeah, it's a way to sort of disconnect from it, I guess, a little bit with, but as well as giving it space to be there as well. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of practice, um, yes. but it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess also that idea that like just because our anxiety might be might be saying, you know, we might be having an urge as a consequence of our anxiety, um, you know, to like um, engage in a maladaptive behavior, like whatever that behavior might be. It's kind of like, oh, okay, I don't have to act on that urge. Mm, um, yeah, you yeah. know, I can just be like, oh, okay, anxiety is telling me to do this thing now, but actually um, I'm aware that that thing won't be helpful. So instead I'm going to, you know, for me it might be call my nonna, make a cup of tea. Um, I'm going to do take opposite action essentially. Yeah, um, fantastic. Yeah. Going back to the fear of being your worst enemy because what yes. can often happen with anxiety disorders 
is the more we are afraid of those symptoms and try to ignore them, the stronger they, they can become. Mm-hmm. And a perfect way to um, end up with the diagnosis of panic disorder, uh, which is something I had when I was very little, um, mm-hmm. is that you become you, your your anxiety just keeps being fed and you end up mm-hmm. um, in quite a state of anxiety that just keeps building until it sort of reduces as it does do. So, um Yeah, so that's why those strategies are really helpful. Yes, and I think that was also something that the film uh, demonstrated in, um, you know, the scene when Elsa was very much um, panicking when, Mm, like, she mm. hit Anna. Um, And, like, they demonstrated that in, you know, when they were singing uh, the reprise of For the First Time in Forever and, you know, the the music was building to a crescendo um, and, you know, Elsa was just like, like I can't like you could just yeah. hear absolute overwhelm and so it was the tone of her voice it was her body language it was the lighting that they used in the shot like it was it was red as opposed to like the serene blue of the ice like it was yeah I think they really articulated um or sorry depicted um that sense of panic and that extreme just overwhelm and how you can't kind of see past the immediacy of of the panic or the immediacy of your emotion and you just Um, want to escape from it yes and ignore Mm -hmm. it that it's just not going to go away yeah (laughs) yeah even the little things like when she's in a a coronation and she's um trying to hold the the staff and everything and she's just like so stressed out and you can really feel it and Mm -hmm. trying to not let her powers show and obviously it doesn't quite work out um but I also feel like the the gloves and covering yes. powers is also a bit of a metaphor for masking, which you can mm-hmm. apply in many different ways, which I just really liked that little analogy as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think um, her body language in so many different like parts of the film was really really telling like Mm. that you know sense of absolutely like you know she was so closed off Mm. um you know when she was a kid and when she was in her room or even when um you know they were with the trolls like she was very much you know like hunched over like you Mm. know um wringing her hands whereas in let it go you know like her hair was always like tightly you know, in a tight bun, like everything tightly controlled, whereas she very much let everything go in the sense of, yeah. And she's got her arms all splayed out and she's, yeah, yeah, just Mm -hmm. letting it all go, yeah. Yes, yeah, the open body language, um, yeah, I guess everything, it reflects that, I guess the biological, like, underpinnings and repercussions of that anxiety and, and the lack of it and the liberation that can come when you do find that acceptance however you find it um Mm. yeah although I will just add that I don't know what you thought about the placement of um the song let it go in the film but it's always really annoyed me because it's like at that point in the film her freedom was conditional um Mm. she was free um with the caveat or proviso that she was alone Yes, yes. So whereas, you know, true freedom um, and acceptance um, came later when she was Mm. like, hang on, um, I'm allowed to express all of these emotions and accept love from the people who care about me. Like I don't have to, I guess, isolate myself. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I have similar thoughts because 
like the the song is such an anthem for letting go of your yeah. sort of hang-ups and being mm-hmm. yourself and being free to be yourself and mm-hmm. take off the mask and just allow like don't, not care what people say mm-hmm. um but it's in a point where she's actually pushed everyone away and she's frozen everyone out essentially yeah um and you know everything's not you know there's a relentless winter um, mm-hmm. that affects everybody um so yeah I'm also like it's a bit confusing in that mm-hmm. way and particularly when it's become such a an anthem but it's in a bit where it's actually great for her to let herself go but it's also at the detriment um and it's like you say conditional because she also doesn't have the support around her mm-hmm. I guess it's a journey for her because she's tried so hard to to mask and and not have the powers and now she's mm-hmm. going through the the I guess the step in the journey of just l- letting herself feel the feelings and be herself yeah. and I think often we can go through a journey with that with things like anxiety mental illness with um, also neuro variances as well and I guess it's also learning what else you need from that as well because mm. while she's able to she wants to isolate herself, which might feel like the right thing to do for her. Mm-hmm. She's also, what I sort of see is her ending up, you know, going back to, you know, Arendelle and, and everything that happens next is there's also that values conflict within her. Mm-hmm. She wants to be herself finally, but also her values are that she loves her family. She's got loyalty. She's got, mm-hmm. um, she wants to carry on her family's legacy and she's also, you know, has that sense of honour and servitude. So it's hard. Like if isolation was going to be completely within her sort of value set, if that makes mm-hmm. sense of what she yeah. wanted from her life, then that would be fine. But she yeah. couldn't be in that state forever. So she was able to express those emotions in a positive way and create this amazing castle and create Olaf and this beautiful dress mm-hmm. and be herself. But she also needed to learn how to manage that in order to save her family, save Arendelle and, um, yeah, I guess balance that life as well, which I guess mm. is a really good lesson in a way. Yes. Um, and I guess I think you really um, hit the nail on the head in terms of, like, she wasn't really living according to her values um, mm. until she went back. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that really encapsulates that notion um, quite effectively. Forgive my um, misremembering. Is values work a bit of a part of dialectical behaviour therapy as well? Um, At least um, for me in my experience, yes. Um, Like it's very much um, how I understand. So like say experiences of guilt um, Mm -hmm. come from like when you're not acting in accordance with your values. Um, And so to kind of, um, I guess, remedy that or you know like fix a mistake it's kind of about reflecting on okay what like how did I not act in accordance with my values and how could I in future or how can I now act in a way that aligns with my values Mm -hmm. so it's also like this show is a metaphor for therapy as well yes (laughs) (laughs) which I love Uh, have you seen like the actual like the Broadway musical that was in no, Melbourne? No, no. Ah, okay. If my son was a little bit older, I probably would have brought him, but he's only just got into these kinds of films, so ah, yeah. Okay. Um. Hopefully, it'll come back. 
Mm. Um, purely, I mean, it was amazing, but I think um, for a multitude of reasons. But one of the uh, biggest reasons is that they actually did a reprise of Let It Go at the end. Um, oh, and wow. it wasn't just Elsa singing it, it was the whole cast. So it really reinforced that notion of of freedom and acceptance um, and and that idea of, you know, love and grace and acceptance intricately and inextricably woven into and part of our connections with other people. That's brilliant. Yeah, I definitely need to see it. I think I, I just want to mention as well, like, I, just, I like the metaphor of her creating the ice monster that chases everybody out of her yeah. ice palace in a bit of a metaphor for depression in that um, we can also do really awful things when we're really depressed in a really yes. depressive state, mm-hmm. um, but it's not, <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> um, it's not like she's created this monster, but it isn't her and it's mm-hmm. kind of her depression chasing everybody out. It's like just a perfect little analogy, which doesn't take accountability away from her mm-hmm. because she did create it, but it's also acknowledging that it's not her intent to hurt people yes. and chase people away. In her mm-hmm. ideal world, she wouldn't be doing that, but it's yeah. like she, that's an, I guess, an offshoot of the the mental illness that she's experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like, and when you are in the midst of that, um, you know, those thoughts and those, those feelings as she was, like it, it feels like your option. It feels like you're keeping the people that you love safe yes, um, by yes. keeping them away from you. Um, and I think she felt, Elsa felt like she was protecting the people that she loved by keeping herself away from them because that was, that was, that is, at least for me, like one of the biggest lies um, that mental illness tells you. Yes, um, And 100%. so I think, yeah, the fact that ultimately – audiences particularly young audiences could see that for the lie that it is um and could see that ultimately you know love and connection are possible for all of us even as you know we can push people away even as we do kind of live alongside these lies um that is yeah also really really yeah I almost wonder this might be a very very big stretch but her creating the ice palace for herself and freezing Arendelle Mm -hmm. is almost like a metaphor for suicide. Mm. She's chosen to isolate and sort of banish herself away from Mm -hmm. her family. And as a result, they are in a, in like a a forever winter, I guess. Yeah. Um, Perpetual winter. I'm definitely overthinking it, but that can be a little bit of a metaphor for how the impact of mental illness can be on people around, even if it's not necessarily suicide, but like cutting off your family. Yes. Um, like sometimes that can be a, a, you know, having, I guess estranging yourself from your family doesn't always have to be a negative thing or sometimes it's a necessary thing. But in the case of mm-hmm. when it's um, a depression or a mental illness creating that, it impacts your loved yep. ones in a way that can feel like what they've sort of created there. Almost. Yes. Um, and I think on that notion of, I guess, suicide and the potential representation of that, the musical actually, um, like the Broadway musical gives Elsa another song um, and it's called Monster. Um, and it's when it's after she has kind of like banished um, Anna and, and Olaf. Um, and she is actually saying 
um, you know, like, you know, would they be better off without me? I'm a monster. Um, hmm. So it's kind of, it, it's explicitly acknowledging that, you know, she is and, you know, would be having thoughts, you know, that like the people that she loves are better off without her, that suicide is an option. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I think it makes sense that, um, you know, in, in a, a real life experience of mental illness like this, one's thoughts might then turn to suicide. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 definitely. I'm glad you somewhat agree and I'm not just <laughs> going a little bit on a tangent, but it's I guess it's the reality of mental illness um, yes. you know, statistically and um, unfortunately. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on in terms of Anna, uh, Elsa, the sort of depression, uh, anxiety sort of metaphor? The interesting thing that I noted is that like even before, you know, Elsa kind of, like you know accidentally hit Anna um like their personalities were very different um Mm, in the sense mm. that you know Elsa was asleep and Anna was the one waking her up um and there was it was just kind of it made me wonder about the like nature versus nurture Mm. kind of thing in the sense that um obviously there's there's no real answer we can't ever be like you know this much is nature and this much is nurture we can't do that in real life and we can't do it um in frozen but it did make me think that um you know personality wise there may well have been a disposition in Elsa um for anxiety or depression Mm, um that then as a consequence of you know her environment um and you know her parents interpretation of the trolls advice um Mm. kind of led to all of the ingredients um or like yeah created the recipe for um, the anxiety and depression that manifested. That's a really good point, especially because when Anna was waking her up in that sort of first scene, mm-hmm. she's also like really conscious of waking other people up in the palace. We've already, even before yes. um, what happens, we we can tell that she's a bit more of a cautious person than Anna mm-hmm. and Anna's definitely like the more playful, happy to take her risk sort of type all the way through the yes. film really. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I just um, found that really interesting too and almost like would love to just like sit down with like the filmmakers and just be like, here are all my questions. Um, <laughs> I'm curious in Frozen 2, is there any sort of backstory on the parents that we hear? Is there any more of a... Yes, yeah. a lot. So essentially Frozen 2 is more b- about like indigeneity. So it turns out that um, Elsa and Anna's mum was like indigenous to like the, the forest near Arendelle. Uh-huh. Um and uh, she, Elsa and Anna's dad, like, saved her at one point and then, like, they fell in love but she then had to leave, like, her, um, like, her. land. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of all about the fact that, like, the colonisers of Arendelle kind of destroyed or um, impacted, like, the land and culture um, of the First Nations people of the oh, forest. Um, wow. So <laughs> I very, should definitely watch, have watched it before today. Yeah, um, it's very good. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same, like, time, like, although there's not a lot of focus on mental illness, like, yeah, one of the songs where Anna is experiencing particularly intense emotions, um, The Next Right Thing is... is similarly kind of like you know when you do get um overwhelmed by that sense of of negativity like sometimes the only thing you can do is you know take one step one breath um Mm. and 
focus on, you know, the next step, the next breath, and then the one after that. And just kind of that sense of immediacy and needing to break life down into the most manageable chunks because everything does feel so overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's also like a couple of flashbacks to their childhood, um, you know, before um, the, the incident where Elsa's hit Anna um, that reinforced that notion of their personality differences mm-hmm. and, and Elsa being like the more serious one and Anna um, just kind of being like the playful, carefree one. So I guess there's also some hints of that intergenerational trauma going on or at least some yes. of those habits that have come down through the generations of, yeah, having to manage really big things and but also having a responsibility to let to to look after things while having to say goodbye to other things I guess and yeah wow yeah so many layers so many (laughs) (laughs) um I wanted to briefly talk about Olaf before we move on Mm -hmm. um because he's so such a beautiful character and I kind of see him as like the antithesis of anxiety and depression because he just sees Mm -hmm. everything for the joy and the beauty and excitement um like with completely rose-colored glasses like you know Mm -hmm. oh look I've been impaled like just so happy about everything that happens to him and I think it's important that she created him as well Elsa created Mm -hmm. him even through this snowstorm which is a really good message that you know even in your worst moments the good things can come of it like you can create good things as well as not so good things as well um I guess also just that sense of of joy in the small things you know like that he he finds joy in like you know getting a nose yeah Um, you know um he he finds joy in uh, yeah I guess like summer um Mm. even though he's like oblivious to the fact that summer could actually kill him yeah Um, but (laughs) just just that notion that there is joy to be found everywhere yeah really really powerful one of the lines he has is I never knew winter could be so beautiful which I think is a really good line Mm-hmm. there's beauty in everything yeah and there's yes. creativity in everything too yeah it just makes me so happy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also like that like when he gets his own flurry he's got mm-hmm. his own little snow um cloud I feel like that's a bit of a metaphor of what it's like to live with depression like you can't just delete depression like it's it's yes. manageable Yep, yeah, mm-hmm. like circumstantial depression, you might only have one experience of, but um, when it's mm-hmm. linked very much with an anxiety disorder, you will always have that little cloud above your head. Um, yes. It's not, mm-hmm. it's never going to go away. And particularly with anxiety, you can't delete anxiety because you also need it to protect yourself yeah. when things, there is a threat. So mm-hmm. even if you could like remove your hippocampus or whatever, <laughs> amygdala, you wouldn't because it wouldn't be good so you can you can experience joy you can live in the world in the the summer but still have the winter there Mm -hmm. and function fine with work yeah (laughs) uh, yes and also I think that notion that um the way that we feel as individuals doesn't necessarily reflect the environment that's around us so, yes, you know, that's a good point um, too, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, Olaf might have been surrounded by summer um, and, I mean, this doesn't necessarily translate in terms of his mood and disposition because, as we've discussed, um, his disposition is, you know, by necessity, um, that sense of positivity. But I guess what it can represent is that notion that, you know, externally everything might be excellent. Um, within you and internally there might be this cloud. 
um, yeah. and yeah. this this iciness and that, yeah, those things don't have to necessarily be, that cloud doesn't have to obscure everything. Um, mm. You know, like um, duality exists. Um, you know, we are multidimensional um, in in everything, but particularly in our emotional experiences. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to overwhelm you, but it can also have space to be there as well. Yes. You can give it the, the space and allow it to be there, which is yes. the best way to manage it really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You can kind of, um, yeah, like have that acceptance and, and hold it lightly, um, I guess. that That's something for me that I've kind of really been trying to to hone in on and embrace that notion of holding things lightly and and not being wedded to um or overly attached to uh I guess an idea or a Mm. part of my identity um because by giving whatever it is like the anxious thought um power over me like you know as Elsa did um when she was like giving the the notion that she needed to be isolated so much power over her it it diminished her as a person um Mm. and so when she it always comes back to let it go but when she let that go in, in much the same way as when I let go of or hold lightly um the things that are hurting or weighing me down then she and then I could be free basically and it's a good metaphor for freezing that frozen heart, I guess, or yes, that ice not being so dense and jagged and hard is mm-hmm. hold, like holding it lightly, is letting that snow melt, letting it, letting yes. that ice be there, but it'd be soft and fl- fluffy rather than mm-hmm. hard and jagged. I wish to interrupt this episode with just a little introduction to a trailer for the Vampire Insider podcast. Now, you may already be aware that the AMC series Interview with a Vampire has been around since last year, but what you might not be aware of is that ABC TV and ABC iView are currently screening and streaming the entire series as well as the Mayfair Witches. So if you haven't already listened to this excellent podcast in which Christina, Mark and Joanne deep dissect the interview with the vampire series as well as the Mayfair witches do not delay in listening to this fantastic podcast and I'm not just saying that because I am in one of the episodes the three hosts are hilarious and it's an essential part of your viewing experience of the interview with the vampire series I feel like Sam Reed is in some way some sort of karmic salve for people who could never understand why the f*** Tom Cruise played Lestat ever. Greetings, Savory Inferiors. I'm Mark Snedeker, co-host of Vampire Insider, the unofficial podcast of AMC's Immortal Universe. Each week, I am joined by co-hosts Christina LaRusso and Joanne Palumbo as we analyze and recap the episodes, delve into Anne Rice's library, and engage in in-depth discussions of other works about the supernatural. Vampire Insider is available on all major platforms, so please invite us in. Do you think there's any stereotypes in this film that might just dampen how much we love this film? 
Or anything um, that subverts it more than anything? Yes. Like I, you know, as much as I love this film, I will be the first to admit that it is not perfect. And there are like several things that stood out to me um, and that still kind of stand out. You know, like that idea of um, like the fixer-upper song. Yes. Um, I think. <laughs> like, I mean, Glad you mentioned that. So I guess the song fixer-upper for me was something that suggested the notion that who we are as we are is enough um for Mm. the people that love us um Mm. and that yes we're not perfect yes we're all fixer-uppers and we've all got work to do on ourselves Mm. um and that we can be loved you know while we do that work we can be flawed and still be a great catch (laughs) yes yeah exactly One line that stood out to me that I was always a little bit like, oh, that's a bit odd. Um, and then also I saw a bunch of um, Tumblr posts about it. Well, there were two in that song. One was like the line, um, the thing with the reindeer that's a little outside of nature's laws. I was like, whoa, Disney, what are you going to imply? What are you implying that Christoph and Sven are getting up to? Like, <laughs> what? Um, oh, yeah, uh, I missed that. <laughs> um, I was just like, Wow wow, Disney, like, totally did not need to go there. Um, no. That yeah. was definitely, like, for the adults if they noticed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, okay, that's a bit yeah. – it's gone a bit far. Yeah, I know, just a little bit. Um, and then there's also this theory that I saw on Tumblr that I'm, like, I'm a bit dubious. Um, but in the, the song Fixer Upper, one of the trolls says, get the fiancé out of the way and the whole thing will be fixed. Um, mm. And so I read like a fan theory that was like um, Hans was never actually evil. The trolls just cursed him to get him out of the way um, so oh. that Christoph and Anna would end up together. I don't I can believe see. that. but I, I can see why like, people would make that conclusion though. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of I guess like other stereotypes, we don't see like the reality of recovery being nonlinear. Like mm. in, in reality yep. – um, it's not like Elsa is like, yes, I accept that my sister loves me. Um, I accept myself. All is fine and dandy now. Um, and I guess, again, this is a film. It's a Disney film. Um, so it's going to operate within certain conventions. Yeah. But I think just acknowledging now um, that that recovery isn't linear, that she is likely to have those setbacks and deal with um, and and learn how to manage her thought patterns um and learn how to regulate her emotions on an ongoing basis for the rest of her life which I guess is good about Frozen 2 in the fact that we see her in another low point at one point yes Mm -hmm. and yeah I completely agree that they were my thoughts too like as much as yeah the fixer-upper song is really about everyone's a fixer-upper it was also kind of like I I interpreted that as, oh, no, you can fix up, Hans. Like, that's Mm. that's what you can do here. You don't need to be fixed up, but he does. And it's like, oh, women aren't (laughs) here to fix up men. But yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I thought that was a little bit of a cop-out, but it's also, you know, that message. Also the fact that the in the, like, one of the lines is, the only fix for a fixer-upper is true love or something. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people just need to, like, focus on, like, if if – for example, cognitive mm-hmm. space, like um, t- the cognitive load yeah. for a woman is often higher than a man. Sometimes love isn't going to fix that. It's the yes. man stepping up to the plate. And mm-hmm. but yes. <laughs> that's obviously a very personal thing for me. <laughs> 
but um, it's important and and needs to be acknowledged. Like there are those um, systemic issues um, mm. that that love isn't going to fix. And I guess on that note too, like what you're saying with with mental illness as well. Like yes, support and family helps, but there's a lot of work involved, and it does make mm-hmm. it a little bit fear versus love a bit binary yes which reminds mm-hmm. me of Donnie Darko <laughs> I love that movie I must say yes <laughs> very much but yeah I think you're right there's there's it's a little bit of a simplistic ending but it is a Disney film and mm. that we can we can forgive them for that I also yes. thought that they co- could possibly interpret depression and anxiety and hence mental illness as a superpower given Mm. that Elsa has powers and that is the metaphor and Mm -hmm. there sometimes can be a bit of danger in the trope that if you're mentally ill then you must have like lots of creativity and um you'll you'll make some really positive stuff out of that mental and sometimes it's just shit and there's lots of people with mental illness that aren't creative people and Mm -hmm. that's okay so yeah there's that danger in seeing it but I feel like it's you'd be interpreting a a little bit too like it's a it's a fantasy film so of course Mm. there's going to be powers involved and if it wasn't the power then how would we how would we have that metaphor so but still it's kind of again holding those two ideas simultaneously exactly um yeah. yeah and I think also um something else that stuck out to me is that um, for the main characters, at least, you know, they were all very like all white, all stick thin. Um, yes, you know, very pretty. Um, mental illness does not discriminate. Um, mm. You know, um, I rewatched it the other day, and like, you know, there was the the store owner. Um, yes, that oh, like of Oaken Sauna, and he was like, you know, but his size was almost used as like a comedic. Yes. Um, thing because he could throw Kristoff out of his shop but then you know they had one um like a person who like was bowing to Elsa at the coronation who was like not quite stick thin mm. um mm. but it's just kind of like that's one person um that you see for like one second like come on Disney you can you can do more. yeah yeah that is commonly an issue um, it's gotten a little bit better like there's a few more heroines that aren't stick thin like mm. um, Encanto and Turning Red. Yes, and, I was thinking. But mm. there's, it, yeah, it's definitely done for comedic effect. Any, any different, like we, the mayor of Weaseltown is um, yes. short and not very good looking and has, mm. you know, is balding. How dare. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's definitely image used in, in that sort of way. And that, mm-hmm. that is a very stereotypical. Uh, but, yeah, I think mostly it subverts a lot of those Disney stereotypes that's a bit more obvious than the stereotypes that it continues yes yeah like I think the one that like stood out to me most the first time I watched it which we have already talked about a little bit is that notion of like um Christoph actually calling out Anna and being like you know you can't marry a man you just met and Anna being like you can't if it's true love you know um uh Christoph asking her like you know what's his last name what's his favorite food what's his yeah whatever um to just really I guess um gently point out that yeah they don't really know each other yeah and that's a really important message get to know someone before, before yeah. you <laughs> betroth yourself to them yes and the true love in this film is actually family love it's not mm-hmm. romantic love um yeah not everyone can probably it's not necessarily the family that you 
uh, born into might be the family that you've chosen like you were saying earlier um but that is often the long-lasting supportive love that we actually need to, mm-hmm. to help us yeah I think we've kind of already talked about it, but should we sort of move on to whether there's anything harmful versus anything helpful? I think we've kind of talked about the potentially harmful things. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we've sort of touched on that. One thing I also noticed is Olaf calls Kristoff crazy when he introduces them to the rocks. Didn't love that, particularly about a film about mental illness. (laughs) I know. I was like, come on, guys. Like, who who vetted that? Like, seriously. Maybe you could have just, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think everything else we really touched on and given how popular this film is and how like even without me seeing it, I could see how helpful it was for the kids I was seeing. I think mm-hmm. it's overwhelmingly more helpful than it is harmful. Yeah, I agree. I think one one last thing I also think it's really important to acknowledge is her even though Let It Go is about freedom, she really only finds that true freedom when she recognised she deserves to be around people who love her as well. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. she shuts herself away from everyone because she thinks she deserves that. Yes. And she's able to, she probably controls them a little quicker than in would be ha- happening in real life. But mm-hmm. she's able to acknowledge that actually I'm not a burden. I can, I'm a gift. I give people yes. things as well, mm-hmm. which yep. is one of those things that you often feel when you're depressed is you're a burden on everyone and, and yep. no one actually wants you around and you don't deserve to have people in your life. So mm-hmm. that's a really important message as well that, yeah, like it's just so important as a depiction, particularly having female focused and led and huge uses of metaphor, but also really, really catchy tunes. Yes. That to mm-hmm. me, kids that watch this film are going to grow up and be really <laughs> emotionally yes, like mature adults. The mental Sorry. health literacy. I love this for them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that, yeah, I, you know, I'm in my 30s. I missed out on a little bit when I was growing yes. up. Yes. Mm-hmm. There were some really uh, great films and TV shows, but not as emotionally literate as something like Frozen. Yes, like Frozen is like a psychoeducation, like for children, which just, yeah, amazing. But also adults too. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> psychoeducation for everyone. For everyone. <laughs> Anything else that you wanted to talk about in terms of whether it's helpful or harmful. Yeah, just that for me, like for me personally, it's been enormously helpful in terms of like, yeah, both um, understanding my own mental illness internally and for myself, but also as a means of explaining that mental illness to other people. Yeah. Um, yeah, ultimately um, it has been more helpful than harmful. Um, but as always, I'm like, you know, it's a, it's a nuanced thing. It's a subjective thing. Um, and um, everyone's experiences will be different. 100%. Yeah, definitely. I can just, I love having media in, in which we can actually use therapeutically but also be able to use as metaphors. So mm-hmm. more of this is, is the answer, more yes. films and representations of mental illness, disability, so that a kid who's struggling to articulate himself can be like, feeling a bit frozen today or feeling like Elsa yes. today or I'm feeling mm-hmm. more Olaf today like things yeah. like that are so powerful mm-hmm. so yeah I'm 
glad it exists. Me too. Um, like there's a um a film coming out um on Disney Plus, I think next year, called Out of My Out of My Mind. Um, oh. and it's um based on a book about a a young girl with cerebral palsy. Um, and oh, I really? have cerebral palsy. Yeah, so I'm so excited for this film. Oh, that's out. amazing. Yes, that'll be so groundbreaking because that's a representation that's very few and far between, particularly for kids films yes yeah so like my soul is ready <laughs> I might have to get you on to talk about that one. Oh my god <laughs> yes out. I am so ready <laughs> yes fantastic it's funny though when when things come out we're more critical of it than than other films I guess because it's yes. there's a lot riding on that representation mm-hmm. um so hopefully they nail it yes yeah, I hope so too. Um, like what I have heard so far is that they have a like an actress with cerebral palsy who is a wheelchair user, fantastic, like playing um the main character. Which I'm like, okay, good. First hurdle overcome. Yeah. Like, come on, Disney, don't disappoint me with the rest. Um, yes, please. <laughs> that's it's funny that like that seems like the most basic requirement to meet, but that's mm-hmm. often you know yeah. so hard like, to see that it's like it's not that hard Hollywood come on like lift your game please <laughs> so many options yeah mm-hmm. so I think we've touched on everything yes I, th- I don't know if we need to go through final scores because I think it meets all the criteria personally would you agree um 100% agree yes <laughs> um even where there are some you know flaws it's like it's well over overtaken by all the positive aspects of it for sure absolutely yes thank you so much for coming on to talk to me about frozen i kind of want to go and watch it again but i have to wrap presents Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, is there anything you'd like to plug um how can people find you on social media for example yeah sure so um i'm on twitter and instagram as um at this girl underscore rights so t-h-i-s G-I-R-L underscore W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, and I have a blog where I review um, representation of mental illness and disability in literature called Laura's Adventures in Literature. So, yeah. Fantastic. I'll pop them all in the show notes too so everyone can click away and read all your awesome reviews. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me and I'm very excited to talk with you again in future. Thank you so much. Um, yay Frozen and yay Sacra Cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.